super excited to have you on for today's episode. Today, Sarah, a client of mine who I've been working with for the last six months, comes on. We share about successes. We share about challenges. We share about speaking to people in a big way that leaves them empowered and can also be very confronting how to do that. Uh, and just an all around, I would say, authentic and vulnerable and, uh, of course, courageous episode. Excited to have it for you and uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts if you want to share. Enjoy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have nightmares after podcasts of not Trauma. pressing that button and being yeah. like, oh my God, I just spent this like hour to two hours of this person's time and energy and it's just like off in the ether somewhere <laughs> anyone who's ever done podcasts has, has made that mistake which is part of the process right it's like when we started with your podcast it's just like we got to make those mistakes yeah you know it's the it's the trying not to make any of them that makes it so challenging which is kind of what i'm in right now because i'm looking to revamp my content like I want to create some new kinds of content but I'm nervous I'm like really nervous about it and like what if it doesn't go well and all this kind of stuff but I realize it's yeah. got to be in the reps you know and so I'm just recording every day and playing with it love it well I actually looked at my calendar so tomorrow would be exactly six months since I started my podcast since episode one Whoa. And you were obviously my first guest, my second episode, my first guest. And now here we are. It's episode 12. You and I have worked together for a little over six months and we are about to embark on another six month adventure of discovery. And yeah, so I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for everything that you have just opened doors for me to open my eyes to open my mind to and just that pivotal role that you have played in my life just that profound role that you have served as my coach and as my friend as my mentor as a shoulder to cry on as somebody who has just been there through so much for me through the past six months so I just want to thank you for that. You're so welcome. Yeah, thank you for the acknowledgement. It's a privilege. It's such a privilege to have worked with you, to see you grow, to see you, you know, recording your 12th episode and to be traveling and, and doing what you want to be doing. It's like, it's awesome. There's nothing better than seeing people get to have and do what they want and being some contributor to that. You know, it's yeah. the best thing. And it's what I learned constantly from people who, you know, have had a lot of success. I'll be in business or relationships in life. You just want to give it away. You just want yeah. to see other people get it, you know, which is so funny, right? Because we think that the wind is at the top of the mountain, but people get to the top of the mountain and they don't want to be lonely up there. <laughs> you want other people to join you, right? That's the best thing. So to be here with you is a privilege and to, to be actually having seen the real results in your life. It's like you're doing this podcast, you're in the States, you know, you're like traveling around. It's, it's really cool. It is very cool. It is. It seems surreal still some days, <laughs> even when we're yeah. uh, 
when we went through all of those goals that we set together at the beginning of our program, it was just such a surreal feeling to speak those out into existence and kind of sit back and say, wow, I actually did that. We actually got there. Because of your openness. That's what makes it possible. Because you're open to the possibility of something different. If we're not even open to the possibility of something different, then can't create anything. So that's, that's your openness. That was the door. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I know that I said this on our last call, but just for the sake of all of the listeners who are listening today, I just wanted to acknowledge you for just being such an incredible coach in so many ways. But one of the things that just stood out to me time and time again was your intuitive knowing of what I needed from you, whether that was for you to just create space for me to just be and to work through my thoughts and bounce them off of you. Or if it was to like gently kind of knead me into a new space, or if it was that all out cut the bullshit here comes Simon with a proverbial two by four to the side of the head type thing. Like, yeah, it was, I needed both. And you are just so good at judging the time and the place when both are necessary. And I think that is something that really truly makes a great coach is somebody who can embody both of those and somebody who knows when to use each and uses them appropriately. And you are very much so one of those people. So I would really like to acknowledge you for that again. Thank you so much. Yeah, your acknowledgement then and now means so much to me. Um, Cause I'm often, I'm scared of that. Like the, it's scary. It's really scary as a coach. Cause first of all, you know, you're trusting me really with your life, mm-hmm. you know, with your secrets, with your fears, with your dreams. That's a sacred thing. And I never want to betray that trust. And at the same time, I want to make sure it happens. So it's this like, it's a real dance. It is a real dance. And every every time I like take a big stand for someone, there's this fear in me that goes, what if I push them away? You know, I might not be liked right now. And that's where like the role of the coach, I think, you have to give up the desire to be liked and instead like the other person, love the other person. Because mm-hmm. if it's about me being liked, then the coaching program is about me, which is a big fucking waste of your time and money. It's really mm-hmm. not fair, but it's hard because it's, it's like this. And this is the thing I coach you on and everyone on really is like, speak to other people as if they are big, powerful people. Because when I'm taking a stand for you and saying, you know, cut the bullshit or something, or that's, that's not how you really feel. Tell me the truth. I'm talking to you like you can handle what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And therefore you end up handling what I'm saying. You can be with it. But if I'm like, oh, you know, Sarah, she's like a soft little marshmallow. You better be careful. <laughs> word around it. Like we don't have real dialogue. We don't have trust, you know? Yeah. But it is it's scary nonetheless, because sometimes I'm like, mm. she hates me. Yeah, but just let her hate you for a bit. 
it's gonna come yeah. around <laughs> oh i hated you for a bit <laughs> many moments oh, you wouldn't be the first <laughs> yeah uh, that one call especially i just i think i just sat there in silence for most of it because i was just stewing i was just like man fuck you simon <laughs> really in that moment i was just like i don't really want to accept what you're saying right now and yeah why do you think that is what is it that's so challenging about those kind of moments those kind of call you out on your bullshit moments um for me personally i would say uh just that innate desire to be right and to feel like i have things together and that I'm figuring things out um and control yeah control um, yeah this the past few years especially but uh, even more so working with you and just with the world events of everything going on I think one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn as of late is surrendering giving up the need for control letting trusting not only in myself but in the people who have proven to me that they are there to support me and mm -hmm. trusting that things do happen for a reason and deriving the lessons from those things but yeah all of that like I mean none of us like to be told that we're wrong or we're um we're holding ourselves back I think for me that's that's one of the toughest things to hear is that I am the one standing in my own way. Mm -hmm. And we He's always are, by the way. Yes. That's always the case. Always. 100% of the time. Now, that's going to probably be a tough thing for some of your listeners to hear right here. It's a tough thing for all of us to hear. That's why what Sarah's saying in concept sounds so beautiful and obvious. But in the moment when we are full of our justifications and our righteousness, to give that up really takes something. Mm -hmm. And that's that, that's that precipice that you and I, you know, have been on before and will likely be on again, by the way. <laughs> oh, We're doing our likely. job. We will be on <laughs> it again. Because it's like disrupting a belief, right? It's like you come onto the call and you're trying to prove to me what's the truth, what's right. And I'm going, bullshit. <laughs> and then we're like, yeah, but... And it's like, oh, shit. Because it's tough, right? When our beliefs are in question, they're like the life rafts we hold on to. But the ironic thing about those life rafts, they're often more like anchors. Mm. They look like life rafts. And it isn't until we go, hmm, what's really happening here? That's what's, what's going on in my life that I am actively creating or participating in? Oh, it can't be my stress it can't be my relationships no that's that's them over there that are doing that to me and there's lots of evidence for it mm -hmm. you know that's why i never tell you that you're wrong it's not a, you're not wrong you're never wrong it's just is it working yeah that's a tough one it's so so much easier to blame other people and i think if i could pick out one of the biggest lessons that I learned in working with you, it has been that with anything, and for me, one of the big things was forgiveness, but with anything, 
you have to be willing to take a hundred percent responsibility. And for me, when it comes to relationships and especially on the topic of forgiveness, when you told me that I wasn't ready to forgive because I wasn't taking a hundred percent responsibility in my mind, I was like, well, no, like that's not how this works. Like re- relationships are 50, 50. So I don't have to take hundred percent responsibility. Like that's, that's not on me. Like he or she did this and that made me feel this way. And yeah, just working through that whole process for me was a profoundly transformational process and really forced me to grow in ways that I never anticipated and has really contributed to a lot of the relationships in my life improving in ways that I never imagined that they would improve. That's what we're here for. That's the whole point right there. Yeah, and you point to something so great. Whenever we're blaming anything or anyone, there's something we're avoiding responsibility for. I mean, even right down to like, I hate the traffic where I live. Well, who chose to live there? Because there's something we can do about that. There's always something we can do about something. Always, always. You know, I, I, it's, there's no great people in the city. By far the most common thing I hear in almost every capital city around the world. <laughs> And it's like, okay, well, what way can we not be responsible? Maybe I'm not being approachable. Maybe I'm not approaching. Maybe I'm, it's where I'm hanging out. Maybe it's how I'm talking. There's some way that we can be responsible for it. But it takes looking because it's not often obvious. Mm-hmm. Just like with our conversation, because, you know, you didn't want to forgive someone and you had a good reason to be annoyed and frustrated by that person. But that doesn't make a difference. You know, and to be responsible for that, I was like, well, what way could, were you continuing the way it was going? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we let the other person off the hook. I think that's where it gets collapsed. Responsibility for a lot of people occurs like blame. Like who's responsible for this? You know, like when you're a kid, who broke this glass? <laughs> like, no, when you're saying responsibility, it's like who's willing to take ownership over what's happened or happening? Mm-hmm as a choice, not as a fault. But again, most people are never taught this, right? It's where yeah. We correlate responsibility with like, who's to blame kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or kind blame. of that he or she did this to me and that hurt me and that made me feel this way. So therefore I am going to be angry at them, or I am going to be sad about this situation, or I am going to blame them for this instead of saying, how did I contribute to how the situation unfolded? And whether that's, I didn't set a healthy boundary and that resulted in them crossing that boundary, which resulted in me feeling hurt. And that was another blame. Without self-blame, by the way, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say I, I played a part in this. The, the other dangerous road you had was like, oh, because I'm bad and I messed up and I'm no good at relationships. No, 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 no. Responsibility is not about blame. But that is a tough one. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, you said something really, like, you said something huge just now. 
someone did something and they, I feel this way. So they're responsible for how I feel. That is a very dangerous place to hang out. Mm-hmm. No one is responsible for how you feel. You're responsible for how you feel. That's, and that to me, that's like the epitome of what's going on in the world these days. Yeah. Who made me feel this way? Who offended me? Who upset me? It's, it's like, no, fu- are you kidding me? Because if we go that way, then no one gets to talk. Because <laughs> yeah. inevitably, anything anyone says will offend someone. That's why I love talking about comedians so much, because you might sit and watch a comedy show and laugh at 95% of the material, but then 5% of the joke pertains to you and your personal experience. And that's not funny anymore. (laughs) Even though I was just busy laughing at everyone else's shit. But mine is the one you're not allowed to tell jokes about. Doesn't really work like that. (laughs) Create some deep shit if it works like that. Yeah, it's funny. I I feel like society nowadays, people are so easily triggered. And then when somebody does get triggered, like you said, it can even be in just that 5% or 3%, 2%, 1% window. And then all of a sudden, the 99% is just they're oblivious to it. It just like dissolves and all they see is that one triggering element and then they close themselves off and don't allow for the space to consider the rest of what's happening. And I feel like that's why we as a society are just going down this extremely slippery slope is people are just getting stuck in this blame game and pointing fingers and the resistance and the unwillingness to take radical responsibility for their thoughts, actions, opinions, feelings. And then now we're seeing this immense divism and people hating each other and ostracizing family and friends and just it's shattering the entire system is shattering friends groups and families and it's just everything. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a very sad, sad thing to witness. Yeah. I see that a lot with friends and family who are even dating, you know, let's say you're going on some dates, you have like six dates with someone and it's going really well. And then you guys disagree on something, politics, vaccinations, religion, money, whatever. And then we like wipe the slate clean like the last five dates weren't awesome. How could I live with someone who thinks like that? Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Life isn't about avoiding conflict. Life is about being with conflict and negotiating with each other, contending with each other so that we can create something and, oh, wow, maybe even learn from each other. And I see this all the time because obviously I'm coaching a lot on relationships, right? So people will be dating and it's going really well. And then there's like one disagreement. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess they're not the one. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> you're going to disagree with someone about something. Sorry, you're going to disagree with everyone about something. And 
that's meant to be like, oh, great. Look, we have something we can like, first of all, it's not gonna be boring. Isn't that great? we got something we can talk about here. <laughs> so we can learn from each other. Yeah. But as you pointed out, that's not happening so much. It's not like, what can I learn from you? It's like, it's almost like looking down on each other. Yeah. When someone believe what we believe. Oh, what an idiot. Mm-hmm. It's not an idiot. You know, person's got their experiences. I got mine. Neither are more valid than the other. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, it's tough. It's ammo. Yeah. I think we often forget that people's opinions and the way each one of us respond to situations is completely experiential. It's it's based on our life experiences and to judge somebody else and to call them an idiot or a sheep or whatever, to demean them for having an opinion or a reaction based on their life experiences is just that really takes away the essence of being human. Like mm-hmm. we, it is dehumanizing. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And it's it's okay to have differences of opinion. And when we can actually be like, oh, it makes sense why you would think that mm-hmm. to someone. You know, and if you think about the the vast majority or the, the vast variety of, of religions and ideas in the world, like there is somewhere where people think it's okay for women to be completely covered up and not get to have rights. Mm-hmm. And they believe that's like the best way to do it. You know, I think that's crazy. But to be able to have compassion and get like, okay, why is that? Because they're not actually crazy. They're born in a certain system that's taught them certain things. It's like, oh, okay. You can see how that would happen. Am I okay with it? Hell no. Let's do something about it. But dehumanizing those people isn't going to make the difference. Mm-hmm. That's just starting wars all over again. I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Pick the topic. <laughs> you know, yeah. we know how that goes. We all know how that, that's going to go. And I'm not saying it's easy. It takes, oh, fuck, it's hard. I'm right. I'm righteous. Let me tell you, I can be a righteous <laughs> son of a gun. I pick a topic and I want to prove someone wrong i'm pretty good at it yeah and that's not a good thing (laughs) i think we all have that fire within us about something that we're passionate and very opinionated on and yeah i mean again we're all human we're all going to have those moments where we just get triggered and we just go off and then all of a sudden we reflect on it or maybe we don't but if we do maybe reflect we on it <laughs> I think a lot of not reflecting going on and that's where the responsibility comes like we're not trying to say don't be righteous you're going to be a human we're going to be righteous people but it's like can we be responsible for it mm-hmm. you know like in a relationship in an argument and go hey honey you know what i just realized i was really trying to be righteous with you I'm just trying to prove a point. Yeah. And the truth is, I care about you. And we can learn from each other here. I don't want you to feel like I'm coming down on you. You know, and then we can be responsible for it and discuss it. But it takes courage. It takes dealing with our unrighteousness. 
Yeah. You said something powerful there too, that really resonated with me. And especially with some of the relationships that I have been working on repairing in the past year. And in working with you is that so much of that conflict comes from a place of love. When somebody is projecting or stating their opinion, even if it comes off aggressively or very one-sided, very harsh, very in your face. So often, especially when it's in those relationships that we have that are very intimate, loving, close knit, whether that's family or friend relationships, so often that person's opinion is coming from a place of love. It's just not coming across to us as being loving in that moment. And so I have really had to take a step back in a lot of the conversations and communication I've had with people. And instead of immediately reacting, taking that step back to say, where could this be coming from? And what could the actual loving intention behind this statement be? And that has really transformed how I interact with people and how I internalize things that people say. And that is another huge thing that we have discussed and that you have taught me to really work with instead of working against those kinds of situations. And yeah, it really, really does transform your relationships. You said it, and that's worth saying again, listening to the person for what's behind what they're saying. What's the actual intention? To me, the classic example for me is always my mom. Make sure you grab a jacket. Mom, I'm an adult. <laughs> Get a jacket when it's cold outside. So that, to me, I, I can hear that as like an attack. Like I'm stupid and I need her help to be warm as a grown man. You know? <laughs> but if I was to listen from behind what she's saying, what is she saying? I want my son to be warm. I hope he's comfortable and safe. That's really mostly always what she's saying. Yeah. You get the blame tickets and how about luggage? It's like, it's never, never been like, I think you're dumb and you need me. It's mm -hmm. never been where it's come from, but it's hard not to hear it that way. That's why I know this might cause people to run in the other direction of me, but a huge part of our work is about dealing with our relationship to our parents. <laughs> Yes, it sure is. <laughs> so many people are like, oh, well, then no thanks. My mom's just like that. My dad's just like that. I'm going to skip it. <laughs> it's, and I get it. I totally get it. We regret that later, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the first relationship we've ever had. That's why it's so important to be with. Like, what's, what is that? What's going on here? My, I remember one of my coaches once said to me, the relationship with your mom is going to reflect the relationship with your future partner. I wanted to throw up. <laughs> I was like, please, no, that sounds terrible. Cause then I was like, now I got to deal with my, relationship with my mom. I just wanted to like put it over there. Okay. Like I, she raised me. I'm an adult now. Okay. We have our disagreements. I love you. And I don't want to open any of those boxes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And it was like, guess what, Simon? You don't get to have the love of your life if you don't. It's like, all right, let's one by one. Here we go. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, those uh, uh, those inner child wounds and the the yeah. relationships we have with our parents, as much as we want to deny that they reflect in how we grow up and in our relationships as adults, like people often joke about not wanting to become their mother or their father, or like they'll like get triggered if they're like, they act or say something that was something that their mother or father would say. And they're like, Oh God, I just sounded like my mother. And it's all of those things over time, especially if we don't face them and we just package them up in a little box and shove it to the side, they always come out of the woodworks, whether we like it or not. Yeah. That's why I love that phrase. uh, What you resist persists. Mm, If we resist dealing with certain relationships, certain things, they're going to come up. They're going to actually come up stronger, you know, and, but it's, I mean, that's my fit to me. You can apply it to everything in life traffic, hardship, something you don't want to do with your work. You know, it's like, what can we give up right now? What context, what piece of this are we attached to that's running the show? Can we give something up here? Mm-hmm. Which is much about the forgiveness aspect. Yeah. Yeah, I, that saying ignorance is bliss. I like to say ignorance is transient bliss because it's mm-hmm. ignorance Short-term is- bliss. Yeah, it's only bliss for a short period of time. You can ignore something and it can make things easier for you for a while. But then then in the long run, it snowballs. And that snowball becomes a rolling massive boulder of snow that's going to topple you over real fast if you don't pay attention to it. I really like that. Ignorance is transient bliss. I totally am with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the hardest things I think about stepping into coaching too, is because it means it's basically someone declaring I'm not willing to be numb anymore, mm. which is hard. I get why people are numb. I get it. Yeah. Turn a blind eye. You don't have to deal with it. Because mm-hmm. what if it's hard to face something that we have no idea how to face? I did a quote about that today. You know, it takes a ton of courage to be willing to take something on that we have no idea how to go about. I mean, that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. We grow up in a world that's like constantly questioning our abilities. And you better have a plan. You better do this and it better be like that. And if it's not like that, what are you doing? Don't do anything. It's like, okay, fine. Well, I can't do anything. Then. Never mind. Take it back. Yeah. Yeah, it's daunting. Mm-hmm. And those desires to be right and that desire to be liked makes taking those courageous leaps sometimes so hard because we just get inundated with people's opinions and our societal conditioning of how we should be doing things and I had another discussion with a friend today about how sometimes those leaps of courage really trigger other people because they see you doing something that they want to do, or it's something that resembles something that they want to do, but they have yet to take that leap. And then Mm -hmm. they resist and that resistance manifests as their projection onto you, whether that's judgment or ridicule or ostracizing you or bullying you or just really like raining on your parade 
a lot of times that's how it manifests and it it can be so defeating and it can really cause a lot of confusion and be a big setback when you feel like especially when it's people that you really care about that you feel like suddenly are not in your corner anymore yeah it's very confronting because if you're going to go live a life of your design and it's working out well then what's my excuse I've got to, I've got to poke a hole in something you're doing to justify my position. Otherwise, oh fuck, I got to face that maybe I could live a new kind of life. Oh no, wait, Sarah's no, Sarah's going to fail at this, so I'll, it's okay. I'll be good then. Once she fails at this, then I can stay where I am. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's super comfortable. I remember when I was telling people I was moving to Bali, and I've been living in Bali almost three years now. And I truly am living a life that I dreamt. This was a dream and getting to work with you and talk on this podcast right now. Like, holy shit. I remember the first time I ever did a podcast. Like, and I was like, who am I to have a podcast? Who do I think I am? I don't know anything. No one's going to care. You know, and that was, it was like four years ago. And it's like, here we are. And I remember when I was booking my ticket to Bali, so many were saying, you're so lucky. Hmm so lucky and I was like what's lucky about booking a ticket to Bali you go online you put your credit card on a computer screen and then a ticket comes out anyone in the western world can do that it's not luck it's fucking courage Mm -hmm. but people think they can't people quite literally think that they can't I had so many people tell me that they wanted to do what I am doing And I would very gently offer the question, why can't you? And it was, oh, well, because I have kids and I have a family here and I have a mortgage and I own vehicles here and I own property here and I have a job here and I have this and I can't do this and I have to do this and I'm committed to this. And yeah, it's just, it becomes this cycle of just building these walls of excuses around yourself and it, it's really sad. It is. Yeah, it is. And, and the, the challenge of that too, is they seem like good reasons not to, mm-hmm. you know, it's mainly stuff. Now it doesn't mean there aren't things to manage. Like Sarah and I, to listeners out there aren't saying like, Oh, okay. Like it takes nothing. No, it takes something. You know, Sarah's had to move her car across a continent. You know, it's like, it takes planning. It takes conversations. It takes dealing with work. It takes dealing with relationships. We're not saying that, but it's not lucky. That's what we're trying to like put on that, put out there that it takes managing of things. But the problem is when people say, Oh, you're so lucky is then that's a way of avoiding responsibility. Oh, that's for lucky people. No, that's not what that is. You know, people in Bali have children. You can live a life and have kids at the same time. <laughs> like it's, wouldn't that be, to me, that breaks my heart. If someone was to say, here's the thing. If you have kids, you're never allowed to move again. Mm-hmm. What? Screw that. Or if you have a car or a house or all that stuff, it's so limiting. So limiting, but it's not limiting because it's actually limiting. It's limiting because it's perceptively limiting. Mm-hmm. One woman got on the thing with me. She was like, no, not everybody can do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying everybody can, but basically anyone with a credit card could do it. 
even if you were in debt, mm-hmm. I was in debt when I came here and it's like, okay, yeah, but what if, what if this, and she just went off, right? Like she's looking for reasons. Yeah. It went to the point where this woman said, yeah, but what if you were like a refugee in Africa? And I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> are you How did we not- get here? How are you trying this hard to prove what's not possible? Maybe that's something to think about. Yeah. Look at how hard you're trying to make sure things aren't possible. You're really trying hard. That's the thing to look at. Well, and if you have the imaginative capabilities to come up with that many excuses and that go that deep into creating reasons why you can't who is saying you can't do the same thing for reasons why you can great question great question i think the only reason is because it's less practiced Mm -hmm. just in the same way when the beginning of working with me we go what do you want to happen and most of the people and i never say what do you not want to happen i very clearly ask what do you want to happen But I think for a lot of people, what they hear is, okay, how do I avoid certain things? And they go, well, I don't want to be stressed and I don't want to be, I said, I didn't ask you what you didn't want. What do you want? Mm -hmm. But we're not used to answering that. Like you said, we're used to the kids and the the work and the mortgage and the cars and all this stuff and stress. Like, okay, well, what, if it could look like how you want it to look, what would it look? Well, it'd be less stressed. No, that's not a, that's not a want. Mm -hmm. What's the opposite of that? And so it's this whole like exercising because we're just not used to it. Yeah. And mainly by association, right? We talk to each other and where's the first thing we go? We go to knots. Yeah. We don't go, I'm I'm so excited about this trip right now. I'm really excited (laughs) about my next adventure. We go, man, this damn taxes and that politician and this should be different and we should change that. And this is like, because this is terrible. It's like, it breeds it. Which is why we got to be so responsible for who we spend our time with, what we listen to, you know, on social media. So now I heard another person, <laughs> this was ironic yesterday. So I did a post, I uh, got quite a bit of, of interest as um, I, I said, the world's full of lonely people afraid to make the first move. I saw that. Yeah. And someone said, uh, a lot of people agreed. Someone said, I disagree. Someone, a couple people said they disagree. And it was good. I wanted to hear different feedback. Right. And um, one said, yeah, I think people are just like scared to put themselves out there. And I blame social media for this. And I said, don't you think that's ironic that you and I are talking on social media Mm. about this thing, that it isn't social media that's stopping us. In fact, it's social media that's giving me this conversation with you. Mm -hmm. But again, avoiding responsibility, a thing for us to blame. Social media is making us antisocial. No, it's fucking not. It's how we use it. Mm-hmm. Everything is a tool. A gun can save someone's life and protect someone, and it can kill someone. How it's used. Social media can connect you and me from around the world and do a podcast right now that we can share with people we've never met. Tell me how that's a bad thing. Yeah. But if we're following stuff that makes us feel shitty, if we're engaging in trolls trying to be righteous, then I can see where that perspective is, but it's not the social media. Mm-hmm. It's what we use it. 
I mean, I on a weekly basis, I audit who I'm following. Unfollow, yeah. unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. I do the same. Yeah, it's valuable because we want to protect our energy. We want to protect our attention. Because everyone's vying for our attention, right? You and I right now, we're sharing, hoping to vie for some people's attention are going to listen <laughs> to this. Yeah. And yeah, I think <laughs> that's a very very valuable and powerful way that you have structured your coaching is getting people to focus on what they want. Because Mm. like you said, it's so easy to focus on negatives, so easy to focus on what we don't want, what we don't have, but energy grows where energy goes, right? So if we are focusing on We want to be less stressed. We want to be less tired. We don't want to have as much debt and we're focusing on all the negative aspects. Then we're directing our energy towards those things. Even though we're saying we don't want them, we ultimately want to get ourselves out of that space, but we're focusing on that space. So that's where it continues to just manifest and become cyclical in those areas of our life. Whereas if we shift and we say, I want to achieve this, I want, and I love how you structured the goal portion where we set goals for each module and each phone call, where you had me outline exactly how I wanted to feel by that time and exactly what measurable results I wanted to achieve which was so powerful and ended up in me achieving and feeling all of those things because that is what we focused on. And that is where my energy went. Mm. And you had the courage to not need to know how to make it all happen. No, that was so hard. That's, I think that is the hardest part of, of working together, of doing coaching is the being like, okay, I don't know how. And so what? Mm-hmm. You know, which basically is my entire life is like that now. Like everything I have in my life is I didn't know how this would happen. But this is the caveat I always tell people. Why would you know? Why would you ever get something new if you needed to know how to have it? It wouldn't be new then. You're not supposed to know how to achieve something new, to experience something new. You would have had it before. Sorry about my dogs in the back. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) But when you talk about the not that, right? Like, I often use this example. Um, don't think of pink elephants. <laughs> what do people think of pink elephants? But I said, don't. I said, don't think of them. Mm-hmm. It's the same. We're like, I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to be tired. So what are you thinking about being stressed and tired? And that's okay as a starting position. So sometimes I work with people who just really have no idea. Like, what do I want? I've been so busy focusing on what I don't want. I actually don't even have an answer for you. I go, no problem. We're going to use what you don't want. And then I'm going to ask you what the opposite of that is. Mm-hmm. It seems kind of obvious, right? But it takes people a minute to go. So what's the opposite of stress? And they're like, I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's so ingrained. Yeah. Maybe it's peace. You know, maybe it's excitement. Maybe it's passion. You know, maybe it's joy, whatever you're going to make it up. What's the opposite of being tired? Oh, I know this one energized okay i want to be energized how does that sound coming out of your mouth 
suddenly there's this whole new feeling that comes with it too. Like it's more than just the words, right? Just in that exercise, we've transformed. I don't want to be tired to, I want to feel energized. And guess what? Even saying those words, suddenly I feel a little bit more energized. But wait, Simon, nothing actually happened in my life. We're just having this conversation. Exactly. But mm -hmm. guess what? We got the ball rolling. We got momentum in a new direction now. And it's going to build. But then yeah. I always come back, you know, all this shit I'm doing is, I think it's really fantastic, but useless without your courage, without your participation. Otherwise, it's just exercises, you know, but if no one takes them on, who gives a shit? Yeah. That's why I talked to you and some people about, you know, obsessing about the new book, the new concept in a book. And I'm like, well, what happened in your life? Or watching it, the latest inspirational clip. Mm -hmm. Did it lead to anything? Because if not, it was just entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I'm not selling these courses for entertainment. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying, watch this and be entertained. <laughs> Please don't be entertained. <laughs> Please be more than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've always been somebody, even with, even in school with studying in order to get something, truly get something out of something and learn something. I can't just watch it or read it. I have to watch it, read it, write it, apply it. And yeah, especially if I can teach it to somebody or if I can actually put it to practical use, like mm -hmm. as ridiculous as it sounds, like even in like chemistry, biology, like any university course, like if I could make it applicable in the real world it was ingrained in my mind for the rest of my life yeah. and yeah that's just the power of intention the power of actually putting things into action and that's another thing I've loved so much about your coaching is just yeah it's not just watch this video read this excerpt it's okay here's this video that you're going to watch and then here are the exercises for how you need to apply it. And here is your homework. Yeah. And Who are we going to go talk to now? Yeah. Yeah. Real. Oh shit. I got to yeah. do that part. <laughs> the oh no, shit moments. That's, that's a good sign, right? Isn't that fun? That's where the resistance comes. Oh wait, you want me to call my mom? <laughs> go forgive somebody? Nah, you know, I think it's a good idea. And this is the classic thing, right? It's a good idea. It's like, who gives a shit? It's like in our life, mm -hmm. where's the measurable result? The actual real difference. Otherwise it is just insights. Yeah, it's, you said, what did you say there? You said something about, yeah, that participation. Oh, oh going from in the stands to on the court, mm -hmm. which is something I acknowledged you for. Right. This is a phrase that was given to me by a coach a long time ago, used all the time. Get out of the stands, get on the court, you know, and, and, and you could apply that to anything. Most people live their life in the stands and we're blaming people who are in the stands. If you literally picture like a sports game, you know, screw you, Kobe, you suck and you should have done that. And it's like you're in the stands. Why are you in the stands? Because you don't have the courage to go out there and fail on the court where the game is actually played. The game of life is not played in the stands. Notice your, you know, heckle didn't stop Kobe Bryant from making that <laughs> shot. 
Notice he's the one holding the trophy, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's because they're on the court failing, getting marred up, getting beat up, you know, but actually growing at such an exponential rate. We don't grow in the stands. And it's hard. It's hard to get on the court. Yeah. Because there's a ton of fear, right? Mm -hmm. Then people are going to be yelling at me. (laughs) I mean, like I said at the beginning of this call, like I'm looking to, you know, change how I do my content. I really want to like reach more people. And I I think I need to improve on how I deliver content. And I'm scared. Which is funny because I've been putting stuff out for years. But it's a style I've been used to. Now I'm trying something else. And it's like... Mm -hmm. I'm nervous to get out there on the skinny branches, you know, people are going to judge me and think things. And it's like, yeah, they will. And they always will. They always will. Yeah. And so it's like, and another part of the coaching is breaking that down into a smaller step. Oh yeah. That is something I was not good at for the longest time. Yeah. Do it all. Small steps. What do you mean, Simon? Small steps. steps are useless. Small steps are useless. I want the big dramatic unveiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know slowing it down is, has been a huge key, but I get it, you know, because then, because we diminish, you know, we overemphasize those big steps and then we diminish the little ones. Yeah. Yeah. You I know, actually saw a really good visual for small steps the other day. It was an Instagram post and there were two ladders and ladder, yeah. yeah. And the one ladder had really, really, really tiny steps. And this guy on the small step ladder is at the very top and the other ladder from afar looks a lot easier because there's about four steps but the person is still standing at the bottom because they can't even reach the first step love that one yeah so powerful yeah that explains it yeah we have to be willing i think that someone said this i really liked you have to be willing to not be too good for the small steps because mm-hmm. there's this kind of like i want to start a new podcast okay well let's you know turn our microphone on no that's i'm better than that mm-hmm. that's the problem don't be better than that don't be better than the janitor don't be better than any than sweeping the floor you know yeah if you can be like a rookie, then we got a chance here. Mm-hmm. But I think that's often the case. Yeah, but that's not like great enough. And I didn't get like a hundred thousand views on my video. It's like, can you be humble? That's why I like Gary Vee so much. Cause he posts this. I'd love seeing this. When people post a video, they're like famous now or whatever. They're super successful. Mm-hmm. And then they post a video that they posted like eight years ago and no one gave a shit. Yeah. But they didn't stop. And that might be you and me on this podcast right now. And five years from now. And maybe we've got, you know, a few hundred views or a few thousand views, whatever. And five years from now, we've got a million or something Mm -hmm. or 10 million. Oh, I listen to so many. I mean, like Lewis Howes, Drew Cannoli, so many of the big name people that I love and look up to and idolize. I've listened to so many of them talk about, oh yeah, like my first podcast, it got 12 views. And I was like, holy shit, I am not cut out for this. And 
hearing those stories is what has given me hope and what has pushed me to continue to take those small steps and sometimes those big courageous leaps forward because yeah it's just exemplary of how it is it's an accumulation of all of the small things that have added up very refreshing to hear those stories Mm -hmm. and he talks about like just record everything like record your failures so you don't have to post them now but he used the example wouldn't it be cool to see you know, like Serena Williams learning to play tennis when she was eight. Yeah. And her being shitty at it. Yeah. If we were to just write those people off, we'd just like, like, oh, they suck. It's like, well, they took a shitload of small steps yeah. to be where they are now. And it's not, it's again, it's easy in concept, you know, for me, like this morning, I, I hit record and I, and I started recording a video and I was like, oh, this is not doesn't sound that great and all this kind of stuff oh here's the other thing we might post something and we think it sucks and someone else loves it Mm -hmm. that happens to me all the time and the opposite by the way i think it's great (laughs) nobody gives that happens to me all the time (laughs) like like, i thought that was so good and then it's like like, oh well that was solid shit here and then you go crickets (laughs) yeah like what i don't get it that's where it's just like get it out there get it out there you know yes it's funny yeah here's a funny thing and how we define it yeah and you're so right that the ego just always wants to take over with so much and it's so hard to not let that get in our way, especially when we have situations like that, where we think we've created something really good. We've put out some content that's been really good. We've created an idea that's really lit our soul on fire and it doesn't turn out the way that we anticipate to not let those moments defeat us, to let ourselves sit in the emotion of sadness and disappointment but then to carry forward from that Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah, ultimately I mean the ego has to take a back seat for your soul and your true purpose and your true power to take the wheel Mm -hmm. and if we talk about what coaching is all about it's like being able to transform between those two spots quickly Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people are playing the game of permanently letting go of the ego. You're going to lose that game. Rather than having the skill to notice when the ego comes up and being willing to drop it quickly, Mm -hmm. like within seconds. That's what it's all about. That's the tools that we're here to expand on because we're going to get thrown off, especially when you play bigger games. That's what my coach used to always say. The bigger the game you play, the bigger the breakdowns you're going to have. But he's like, what do you, what's the alternative? You want to play a small game that doesn't mean much, that doesn't make much of a difference. And yeah, you're going to have no breakdowns. It's going to be boring though. Yeah. It's going to be boring. My partner, I went, sometimes I would, you know, do discovery calls. This is how people get to work with me. It's how we got to work together. Do these discovery calls. Sometimes I might do, I remember like a year ago in August, 
had like nine or 11 people say no to working with me in a row, which was like the most ever consecutively of no's in a row that I got. And I started questioning my whole situation. I started questioning my whole coaching. I was like, fuck, I don't have it. What if this doesn't work out? What if I have to, you know, go back and be a personal trainer? What if I have to leave Bali? Like, what if, what if, what if, what if? Start myself crazy. And then it was like, okay, how do I transform where my mindset is so it doesn't impact my next conversation? If I can do that quickly, I can have the career of my dreams. If mm -hmm. I stay in this mindset, I can, you could see the spiral where that would go. I'm not good enough. Never mind. I give up. Yeah. You know, and lo and behold, the next four people all said yes. Hmm. Right after that. Of course. <laughs> like, okay, we got something again. And this is the constant <laughs> wave that I'm on. Mm -hmm. I think pretty much every self employed person's on. You know, it's like not riding the highs too high and the lows too low. And can we just like stay stable, stay confident in the process? You know, my, my, my partner, she used to say like, you know, you're worried, but this always works out. And it's, it's interesting because mm -hmm. the funny thing is someday, you know, we're going to be driving our Tesla to our beautiful cabin and all this great stuff is going to be happening. And you're going to wish you were doing more of this because this is when it was fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the ultimate. That's a hard perspective to put on ourselves. Because you hear that all the time. You hear that from super rich people. You hear it from celebrities. Like it was more fun in the struggle. They yeah. always say that when I was vying for a part, when I was, you know, you know, auditioning and all these different things, that was when it was like I felt the most alive. But when we're in those moments in real life, that's when we think we feel the most stressed. Yeah. But if we can flip that, if we can like be like, oh, you know what? Someday I'm going to miss this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to miss when I had to figure out, you know, how I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to miss like being this creative with something at stake. I'm going to miss when I've had 12 views and we were just trying to figure it out. We're just playing where now I can put out anything and a bunch of people watch it, but I don't even know if it's anything. I'm just like. Yeah. Take an excerpt from Eckhart Tolle and just the power of now, right? Like being present in the moment and really just immersing ourselves in now. Because we're always age. gunning for the future. We're always gunning for these goals. It's so easy to get so wrapped up in what we're striving for instead of where we are right now. One of my mentors in Vancouver, he asked me one time, he's like, so what do you want? Great start of every conversation with a mentor, right? What do you mm -hmm. want? And I immediately went into money. I want to make $150,000 a year. He's like, wait, 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 wait. No, no. What do you want? He's like, who cares? What's the, what, what's the point of that? What's again, the intention behind what someone's saying? Let's say you have that. What then what? Who gives a shit? Yeah. And then he goes, Simon, I made $9 million last year. I spent seven of it. I just got nicer cars and nicer shirt and I stay in the nicer part of the hotel. But my life's pretty much the same. It's not about the money. 
We mm -hmm. all think it's about the money. Oh my God, that's the driving force for everybody. Once I have a few more square feet, no, we need a yard. And we just, it gets bigger, it never ends, never ends. Two car garage, yeah. three car garage, never ends. It's not about that. What do you actually want? And then when it got down to it, it was like, well, I want to do something I love. I want to help people. I want to have a family. I want to have the time to be able to spend with my family so we can do fun things and be together. I want to attend my kids' sports games. Say, oh, okay, now we're getting somewhere. That's what you really want. Mm -hmm. How do we, now let's design around that. Because I could get you the 150K, but I promise you, it's not going to make your life a whole lot different. Yeah. It just seems like it will. It's just another one of those boxes that society tells us we need to check off to be happy. We need to go to school so that we can get the degree, so that we can get the career, so that we can buy the house, so that we can ho house our family that we can then put food on the table for and make X amount of money to have the nice, big, fancy house and the fancy car and all of the things. And I see so many people who have checked all the boxes and they are some of the most miserable people I know because they're not fulfilled. They're not living in alignment with their true purpose and they have done all of the things they have been conditioned to believe will bring them happiness and then they find themselves in this space of now what isn't that heartbreaking it is like i did all the right things and i thought i'd get you know that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, that happiness. And I don't have it. What the hell? Shit. That's a hard thing to be with. It is. It's so hard. And that's one of the things that I feel so called to do. And what I truly believe is part of my purpose is helping other people discover their purpose. Helping other people align with their true soul calling and their passions in life because truly some of the happiest people I know are the least wealthy people that I know from a financial perspective, but they are the people who are fulfilling their purpose every single day. They are making a truly tangible impact in this world they are helping other people and they are doing what they love, what lights them on fire. And I, I actually took a course during COVID lockdowns, one of the first lockdowns, the science of happiness through Yale University. And it is proven that after you make, and I believe it in the course, it was $80,000 a year. Now, fair enough. I think that as the cost of everything goes up, there there is like a baseline income where you have to fulfill your Maslow's basic needs. Your you have to be able to be living a comfortable life. But once you reach that eighty thousand dollars a year, maybe a hundred thousand, one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, where you are fulfilling those basic needs, 
and you are able to provide for yourself, any subsequent increase in income has absolutely zero effect on happiness. And other studies like Harvard studies that show that our, our actual life expectancy and our health and our well-being and our happiness is not related to income or job security. It is related to our relationships and our experiences. And those are the two biggest things. I mean, but, and for me personally, one thing that I do believe in the, on the subject of like, oh, money can't buy happiness to a certain degree, money allows you the opportunity to have experiences, to do things like travel, to do things like start a company or whatever your passions are. But once you have that baseline income to afford you to be able to do those basic things, it's, it's kind of a moot point because after that, it's really, are you aligning with what your calling is with what you were brought to this earth to do as a human being? And yeah, the people who have just fallen into that mentality that I have to make X amount of money in X amount of time. And I have to have this size of a house and this type of car, And then they find themselves feeling so unfulfilled when they have all of those things and they've spent so much of their life striving for that. It is truly heartbreaking. Yeah. And I don't blame anyone who is living like that because I get it. I mean, that's pretty much what all my marketing is about, Mm -hmm. you know, buy this car and you'll feel this good and wear these clothes and you'll attract this person and live in this home and you'll feel connected and they're good at what they do. Yeah. I don't want to put on to people that you have to also be poor to be happy. Yeah. I'm of the statement of let's get you rich (laughs) and happy. For sure. My, my coach says it all the time. She's like, I want all my clients to have tons of money because I only work with great people and great people do great things with lots of money. Yeah. But it might not look like what you and I are talking about, the, you know, two-car garage and the house and all that. Like, what does it really look like? Mm -hmm. Maybe it looks like a smaller place and you have a fundraising company. Maybe it looks like you have multiple places and you get to bring your family there. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it looks like you open up an animal shelter in Bali. That's something I want to do. Yeah. Maybe it looks like you start a retreat center and it's so successful that you can charge a good amount that you actually help people to earn more money in their own lives and that you can open more of those to make more of a difference, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, I think a lot of it's how we frame it. And, and I think to your point is asking the question, you know, is this really what I want? Mm -hmm. And the hard part about that is only we can know as individuals. Yeah. And I think, yeah, exactly what you said, the power of being able to give back. That is another thing on top of experiences that money does afford. And I don't think there is much that compares to knowing that you have really truly made a difference in somebody's life. And a lot of times that does require money. And for me personally, with 
what I want to do in the realms of holistic healing and providing these kinds of services for people. I don't want money to be a limiting factor for the people that I am serving. So if I can make the amount of money that affords me to be able to offer free services and budget-friendly services so that I can make the impact in people's lives that I desire to make, then yes, absolutely. Money is a huge asset. But again, for me, that doesn't look like fancy cars and fancy houses. And that's also not to shame or belittle people who do truly want the fancy cars and the fancy houses because I, yes, exactly. I want to test a real bad, real (laughs) bad. Good for you. I mean, those are beautiful cars. And I think like, if you want a fancy car, because you're the kind of person that gets in that car and you put your hand on that gear shift and you are flying down the highway and that just brings you so much joy and you love your car, you take pride in your car, you love driving. I think that's amazing. Then go get yourself that fancy car. But if you are striving to make X amount of money to buy the fancy car because you think that's just going to look good and that's what's going to get you the girls or the guys or or get you happiness, yeah, or your neighbor has it and you need to one-up your neighbor with the newest model, then like that's just, yeah, (laughs) it's a negative. That's not it. Vicious cycle. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. And it's tough. It's tough to recognize that. I mean, so many, so much of my coaching as you see, like, oh, I didn't realize that that was actually what I wanted. I didn't even know. You know, so I get, I get when we get caught up in those things. You know, Mm -hmm. we get surrounded by a certain kind of mentality and and that's what we think. And, you know, I've I've thought a lot of those same things. And, And I challenge you, you said, you know, making your thing more budget friendly. I think that's great. And I challenge you even more to, Engage the people in a new conversation around money so that they can earn more. Mm -hmm. Because that's even better. Because then you arm them with the skill to be able to make more money, to live a new kind of life. Yeah. You know, because just, and I've seen it, free services often are less valuable services. True. You, know, you get you what you pay for very often. Very often. But rather than arming the people to earn more money, which is like a conversation you and I are going to have, you know, how can you make a difference for your finances that are really successful, right? In mm-hmm. a brand new way. Then you teach people how to fish rather than giving them fish. You teach someone how to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. You give someone fish, you feed them for one meal. And this is a hard, I mean, money's, a, I love talking about money because it's a, such a triggering conversation mm-hmm. and it's so deep. I mean, how, the majority of people think money's running out and scarce to come by. Most people in the world think that. So inevitably we stay in the financial position we're in, but it doesn't have to be that way because there actually is so much money available in the world. There's so much for us to have. Yeah. If we were to give everyone a million dollars, we'd still be just such a tiny little slice of the pie that's actually available. But I don't know how we got into this conversation. <laughs> happened. We're flowing. I think flowing. there's a huge, 
aspect of self-worth to money too. Like even on the topic of what you said of um, having services for free, I think like even for myself personally, when I dabbled for a very short period of time in the world of personal training, I did not at that point in time feel like I deserve to charge X for my services. And that all cycles back to self-worth. Like, what do you think your knowledge, your expertise, like that should be something that you are so proud of. And you are so rooted in what you are offering that you don't have anything against charging a fair price, like a high price, because you know that your clients are getting an immense amount of value from what you are offering. Yeah, you can see how it's a self-worth conversation, not a fairness conversation, mm-hmm. not a, and not a generous conversation. That's that's where it masquerades, right? Yeah. You know, I give away free stuff because I'm so generous. I don't think that's really what it is. <laughs> the whole calling out on bullshit thing right like I'm working with another coach right now to help her grow her business and I've I've literally have to get her to stop giving away free things like stop it you know but she's like oh but I just I really care about people it's like okay if you really care about people help them deal with the stuff that's getting in the way for them to be bold and take a big risk Mm -hmm. you give away stuff for free there's no risk we take it for granted. Yep. There's a reason why you could learn literally everything on YouTube for free and people don't learn it. Mm-hmm. There's no skin in the game. Nothing at stake. I don't know about you, but when I get given a free shirt, I don't treat it as well as the shirt that I buy for $80. Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge aspect of commitment and just taking pride in something that you've really invested in, whether that's time, energy, or money to know that I have actually had to make sacrifices for this. So therefore I am going to treat it accordingly. And I'm going to put the energy and the time back into it to get what I put into it back out of it. Yeah. There's something at stake. There's really something at stake. I, I, I have another client, um, you know, who's, who's quite high, lo- high up in the in that company. It's like her and then the, the person who owns the company right above her. And we're talking about, you know, her getting a raise. And she really, really wanted a raise. And she felt like she deserved it. And I was like, well, have you had any conversations about it with, with that person? She said, no. So, so what do you, you think is going to happen? Well, I think once he sees my value, He's going to just give me a raise. I was like, see how not powerful that conversation is. You're just waiting for someone to knock on your door and give you a raise. He's probably not going to give you a raise yeah. because that's a conversation around fairness. A lot of people look at money like fairness. It's unfair that that person makes so much money has nothing to do with fairness. Well, let me tell you what's unfair that Balinese people live off $300 a month millions of them that's unfair do you notice how it being unfair doesn't increase their income yep fairness doesn't do shit for how much we earn it's a self-worth conversation 
It's a negotiation conversation. Can we have the courage to negotiate? People often ask, you know, how do you decide what the price is for coaching? Well, the market decides. I pick a price, and if someone buys it for that price, then that's what it's worth. What makes Yeezys or Mike Air Jordans worth $250 a pair and Adidas 96? People buy them for that much. They're not actually cost that much to make. It's not a fair price. Yeah. It's the market deciding, right? So as soon as we can take this conversation away from fairness and actually go into like, well, what am I willing to stand for? Exactly. Problem with that conversation is, oh shit, that's on me. <laughs> I got to deal with that one. But if I go, I should be fairly compensated by my boss. Well, then all the power lies in your boss and what they feel like doing, which by the way, your boss wants to make as much money as they can. Yeah. Sorry. I have to pause you for one second. I have to plug my laptop in. <laughs> no problem. We probably should sign off pretty soon here too. Cause I got a call in 12 minutes. Big win for you, by the way, setting up your Calendly. Right, Big win back. for you, by the way, setting up your Calendly. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Send me so much to book calls that way. <laughs> Let me tell you, I love that app. Yeah, yeah. There's been some uh, little steps that I feel like are going to lead to some much bigger results. Mm-hmm. Learning about crypto too, which has been interesting. Oh yeah, you buying a crypto? Yeah. What'd you buy? Uh, XRP. XRP. What does that one stand for? Oh Isn't god. Stellar. I have no idea. So many. So many. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the crypto world a little bit too. I, I invest only what I'm willing to absolutely lose and go to zero. Yep. Because <laughs> it's yep. like this great it's, rule of thumb for sure yeah but, but i'm curious because some of those things i mean if you could you know if you leave it for 10 years and it's worth a penny now and ten thousand then you're gonna be a millionaire <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean that's my plan too i like i have no desire to make trading um like a full-time job i have friends who do it all day every day but that's so strange yeah. I mean, I've watched a lot of videos that say you can essentially make as much money by just holding your money, like not continuing to put it, like pull it out, put it in a different one, pull it out again, put it in a different one, like just putting in one thing and letting it sit and putting it on a ledger. Like I bought a ledger and I'm just gonna let the, it Yeah. Let it ride. But that's what I do too. I don't sell anything at like five-year minimum just to find out apparently i saw some study that was like uh like a, a st an ad, the average stockbroker is just as good as a monkey smashing buttons <laughs> like the same level of returns if a monkey just went sell buy sell buy buy sell buy sell like totally the same because <laughs> everyone thinks they can like predict this shit it's like nuts <laughs> That's why, I mean, if you talk about like the biggest people like Warren Buffett, he talks about dollar cost averaging 
and and everyone goes all these rich people go why don't they follow your routine it's so easy and he goes no one wants to get rich slow that's the reason no one wants to get rich slow mm-hmm. but this thing's so easy you literally do this dollar cost averaging where you invest a similar amount each month you gradually increase it you can't lose over time you eventually just win but most of us go oh, i'm not it's not fast enough or something terrible just happened yeah chill mm-hmm. It's hard though. Oh yeah. There's such a huge emotional component to it. Right. Like as with everything, like we get impulsive, we get scared, we get emotionally attached and we go, Oh my God, I got to pull out of this or, Oh my God, everybody's in this. So I got to invest in this. And it just becomes this big, just mumble jumble of like, okay, we need to separate emotions from these decisions because this is not leading us anywhere good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, back to, um, I guess just, you know, I got a call in seven minutes. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess just on the topic of finances, uh, it really just all kind of rolls back to the topic of taking radical responsibility right i mean all of it everything comes back to that everything comes back to that yeah and and by the way i think just to give people a little bit of an access here it's a responsible thing to say i'm not willing to be responsible for that what sarah and i are talking about isn't okay now you have to be responsible for everything that's happening at every moment that's not Mm -hmm. what we're saying It's responsible to be in a relationship with someone and say, okay, I will not be responsible for how you feel. Mm -hmm. I will not be responsible for showing up on time. Maybe I'm a notoriously late person and I'm choosing it to be that way. But there's a difference between communicating that and consistently showing up late when the other person expects you to be on time. Yeah. It's just being in communication about it. And, and that's so much of what we, we, we talk about in coaching. It's like, well, what are your expectations? Have you communicated those expectations? Has the other person been given a choice to go, yeah, I'm up for that. Or no, I'm actually not going to be responsible for that. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up here, just one, maybe two final questions. Um, okay. <laughs> first, <laughs> Uh, we can do more episodes. Yes, I'll absolutely. There will for sure be more episodes with you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to share this one on my podcast too. Yeah, absolutely. I would be honored. What is the biggest thing that you have learned in the past six months of us working together? In the past of us working together. I think that I think the biggest thing I learned of us working together is how important it is to stand for someone when I don't know how. It's so important. Because even when I was nervous to stand for you, there was a part of me that was just about to bail. Just about to go, okay, just, you know, play it safe. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing I've been reminded of, I feel like I already know this, but knowing it, like in our coaching, I say it doesn't make a difference. It's the application. So I've been reminded of the importance to take a big stand and, and risk myself. 
Well, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for being open to it. Holy shit. If you weren't open to it, oof. It'd be tough for me. Yeah. So yeah, that's the biggest one, I think. Because I can because I can apply that to every area of my life. Yeah. And I get to constantly look where I'm not. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful reminder for us all. And then out of everything that we've talked about today, making excuses, not taking radical responsibility, just being in the stands and not being on the court, everything um, for people who feel stuck right now, for people who are using any and or all of those things to keep them stagnant, what is one piece of advice that you would give them? Well, yeah, if you're feeling stuck, then you got momentum in a certain direction. You don't need to change the direction. We just got to slow down the momentum that way. So the first piece of advice I would say is to give yourself some compassion. Give yourself the space to be okay with where you are. And that, I promise you, will lead to the next step. I promise. You can just be like, okay, I'm stuck and I'm not going to beat myself up about that for a moment. Mm -hmm. I promise you another thought will pop into your head of some small little action. And then you'll begin to build new momentum. But I think compassion is always the first one. No one beats up on ourselves like ourselves. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again for being here today and for sharing your incredible knowledge and your energy with myself and all the listeners. And I look forward to our call tomorrow and the next six months of whatever is on the horizon. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, we're going to create it. Thank you for having me so much. And I want to ask you a question. What would you say to someone who wants to start something new, but has fear? Like you in this podcast and what you've created it as, or your trip. I mean, there's countless things we go into in your personal life where you've, you know, had fear to start something new and here you are building momentum. What would you give to them? I think I would have to say that there is no wrong way kind of to play off of what you said. Like if you're stuck, you always have momentum in one direction. Even if you end up doing something that doesn't lead you to where you wanted to go, that is just showing you all of the things that are not for you. It is showing you the Mm. pathway that was not the right way. And it's allowing you to learn lessons as you traverse that pathway so that you can shift and redirect and go on to new things and new lessons. So no matter where you go and no matter what you do and how many times you F it up and you fall down, you're, as long as you are striving for growth and you are taking the time to 
derive the lessons from whatever comes your way, you are always going to be bettering yourself and you're always going to be stepping into that greater version of yourself. So there's no way to go forth, but to take that first step, even if that first step ends up being in the direction that is not the direction you ultimately ended up wanting to be in. It is not wrong. It is simply adding to your experiences and shaping who the future you is going to be. Sarah, thank you. I'm going to take that on. I'm going to use that in this new content creation thing that I'm on because I've got so much fear. Let me tell you. And I, I think what you're saying is just this like, it's all working out for you, even when it seems like it's not working out for you. It absolutely is. Everything has a divinely orchestrated purpose and direction. And yeah, you just, have to take that first step and I'm so excited to see what you are about to create oh my god I'm so nervous I'm trying <laughs> all this stuff. I gotta go I got my call starting right, right. now sending you love Amazing. love to all your listeners looking forward to connecting more thanks for being here Simon thanks for having me bye bye